It's wonderful to get excited about what Jesus has done and what he's accomplished and Christmas is all about, right? He came for us. He did it all on his own expense. He made the plan. He executed the plan. He sent Jesus here for us. And yet now as believers, we've come to a place where we now have a response to the reality of what God's done for our lives. And that is we get to turn around and let other people know that it wasn't just for us. It's great that it was for us. But sadly, many times the gospel seems to hit a pause when it touches someone's life and because maybe they didn't know that it was now on them to pass the baton, to let someone else know that we are in a dark place, but it's the light of Christ within us that makes the difference. It's nothing you can do on your own. You can try and have the best life you can and get the best job that you can and do the best for yourself, right? These are words that we kind of use encouraging young folks sometimes just Hopefully you do the best for yourself that you can, and there's all merit to that, but this kingdom we're a part of, this gospel that we've been given, is a message that talks about all that God has done, and our simple response to that is to simply share it. Freely we've received it, and then freely we give it away. Let's just not complicate it this Christmas season. Let's just um, be free with our, with our kindness, with the way that we see people, not to... Um, get so tangled up in the, the hectic reality of this season and miss the essence of it, which is that Jesus has come for us. But more than that, he's now sent us out so that we would go after others, that we would be a spot where they can point to. They may not like everything that we do or say, but they can still look at our life and say, there's something special about those people. There's something special about this person. Maybe they're just going to get to know one of us. But they can see something in you that's beyond just what you know, this world can bring to your life. It's the life of Christ living within you. And uh, so thank you for that encouragement, our sister Anita, that are just reminding us that it is on us now to be the light in a dark place. We can all recognize the darkness, but we've got light. We've got light to shine. Jesus warned his disciples, be careful, don't light the light and then put a basket over it because you don't like how bright it is. Light the light and then go out and shine it. Okay. So what a beautiful morning, what a beautiful time of worship. The children are young adults. I keep saying children, but geez, some of these guys are really, they're young adults already, and they're just worshiping Jesus with a full heart and just pouring their hearts out. And up here in the front, you get to just really hear it so much more uh, pronounced, I guess, than in the rest of the room maybe. But they're just um, a beautiful testimony of the sacrifice of our Sunday school teachers, our program that just ministers to them week after week. During the week, they have special practices. They have percussion practices, and Christmas Eve is going to be amazing. We're going to do two services Christmas Eve, uh, which is this coming Saturday. We will not have service on Sunday morning, so if you come on Sunday morning, I guess just put Christian radio on, and you can sit in your car in the parking lot, and uh, you know, if you need to be here, then that's, that's the best that's going to happen, because the doors are probably going to be locked. So uh, appreciate your commitment, but most of us will not be here if you come next Sunday morning. We're going to just encourage folks to uh, spend that time with your families. Maybe you haven't had a, you know, Christmas hasn't fallen on a Sunday in a little bit, so maybe it's been a while since you've just gathered folks around the tree, and if you have a tree, sorry, I didn't mean to raise, you know, it's amazing us Christians, we can get all spun up over the craziest things, right? Tree, no tree, put a star on top, we can put a cross on a tree, I don't know, is that sacrilegious? And whatever your way of celebrating Christmas, gather around that reality and uh, be together as a family, encourage one another, maybe read some scripture, um, so that's what Sunday morning is going to be. It's going to be Christmas Day. If you haven't figured that out yet, maybe you're really busy and you didn't even notice that it's going to be Christmas Day next Sunday. So that's what we're talking about. 
Christmas Eve will be Saturday night. We're going to celebrate with two services here. Our children have been just going uh, extra time, extra practice. Thanks for the parents who just been um, bringing them out and making them a part and available to, to practice their parts, to learn what they're doing. Uh, it's going to be a great blessing. It always is. But we've got two services. Make sure, bring somebody. We did it that way. We could probably fit in one, but we want to make sure there's room for you to bring a guest and still have a seat for them. So let's really be intentional. Let's see Christmas Eve this year as a chance to just invite someone out, and uh, we're just going to see what the Lord does, because it's going to be a powerful, it's always powerful when we put Jesus at the center of what our, our time together is, and that's what we try to do here at Kingsfire Church. We believe that if Jesus is in the middle of what we're doing, we're going to be all right. We really believe that. If Jesus stays preeminent in our focus, in our worship, in our teaching, in what we, in what we look to Scripture for, then we're going to be centered around what really stays and what's not drifting and waffling around, because Jesus never waffled around. He said things pretty straight and to the point, but um, he, he, was, he was very much someone who could be followed because he was very strong. And many didn't want to follow him, but for those who did, they recorded the events of their life. And we now have testament called the New Testament of that reality that was so strong in them that 2,000 years plus later, we're still here with accurate documentation of what happened when a people decided to follow Jesus Christ and to embrace the Holy Spirit that he provided for their life. And so I just was reminded, uh, Pastor David, do you have a testimony? And before I start sharing, let me find you a microphone. Not that you really need one because you got that big Texas voice going. Um, we, had, we had one up here. Where did it go? Somebody's keeping a microphone warm. It is? Is it on the stand? All right, I'll stand close to you. I just want to share a quick testimony. Some of you know that right before we... The day be night before we got ready to go to Zambia, Africa, I, I was injured. I jumped straight up in the bed and twisted right. And like, for five days, I could not walk. But some of that tore was bleeding and down the right side of my leg, about this big, the upper part, and then went below my knee and started down my leg. And then right under my tailbone, days later, it began to bleed. And large bruises going all the way down. Last Sunday, Pastor Josh prayed for me right here, a very intense prayer. And suddenly I dropped in the spirit and saw a vision in my own body. I saw the bleeding stop. And this week it's been medically verified. The bruises are disappearing. Thank you, Jesus. You, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, it was actually during ministry time after Jared had, Jared had spoken and Jared called for ministry. And I just, I was about to join the team to pray and I, I just felt such a strong you know, I'm, I'm the student here. I'm the disciple. This man has been traveling the world doing, you know, exploits for Christ his whole life since he was saved after the Vietnam War. Um, just an amazing story. If you don't know Pastor David, they have a class downstairs at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning, and you can get to know him real quickly. He loves the Word. He loves Jesus, and he's seen Jesus do amazing things. And um, I just love when, when you follow the leading of the Lord, it's just the reality that he has a plan in place. And it's not just for moments. It's for our lives. There's a plan that he's working, and it's not always going to make sense up here, but it doesn't make sense for me to say, and I was, I was, hum, I was so humble, right? I was, I was in tears. I was, I was like, my body was trembling. I just felt the Holy Spirit on me doing what he was doing, because I'm just, you know, I, I struggled to get my faith up for, you know, praying for a headache, much less the minister of, of God that's a supernatural healing ministry, and knowing that there's something going on in this saint of God's body that is just not supposed to be happening, and sometimes that'll rise up in you where you sense a... The word calls it righteous indignation, where you just sense this is not right. And 
I, know, I think we're all interceding for people. My, my sister, if you know Justina, she kind of has kept the church administratively running for quite a bit of time now as a volunteer. She doesn't want anything for her. She's just really dealing with a lot this week. So sorry to put you on blast, sis, if you're watching online. But, you know, she just had some surgery. She's been going through a, a battle with breast cancer. And it's just, it's, it's not fair sometimes the things that life of that, that happen in life. It just doesn't make sense. And there can be some times where God's just using it to work things through. He's going to work it all together for good. We know that's his promise. There's no doubt about that. If we're going to question that, we might as well question our salvation. He's going to work it all together for good. And someday we'll look back and we'll understand it better than we do now. However, in the moment, there can be times when the Holy Spirit just moves on you and you just sense like, no, 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 it's time for this to change. And so when you pray that way, sometimes it's, it's humbling because you realize it's not you, but there's something in the Holy Spirit that says, now's the time for this to be adjusted. And so just I appreciate your prayers for, for her and just knowing that the Lord is at work in all of our lives. We've got to sometimes just get our focus off of micromanaging the details and say, Lord, whatever it is, we're trusting you and we're going to worship you and we're going to praise you and we're going to move forward until we see and it makes sense. So we just continue to believe that the Lord knows what he's doing. We've got to be able to do that because if you think people are going to figure out what they're doing and they're going to, listen, the Bible is very clear. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Men got us into this problem. Men are not going to get us out of this problem. Believers in Jesus Christ, disciples and followers of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life through this, those are the people who have the possibility of leading us into a better place. And so this morning in discipleship, you know, we watched 17 minutes of The Chosen. It was such a powerful, uh, it was the clips of when Jesus called. I think most of the disciples were included in those different clips from different episodes. And it was just such a powerful, when you just see him right one after the next, you realize God has always had a plan to build a people into a force that this world would not be able to extinguish or to diminish. And I just thank God that we, as dark and confusing as this world's going to get, we're not, we're not of that spirit. Our, we're not confused because they're confused. Do you understand? It actually makes our position more strong and more clear when you realize that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. We have a different set of, of, of guidances that we follow, a different voice that we listen to. And when you do that, you realize you can have peace in the middle of whatever storm is going on. And so be encouraged this morning. The Lord knows what he's doing. If he's true to the way history works, it's going to take longer. You know, I mean, he doesn't come as the Messiah on a white horse right away, right? He comes as a baby in a manger. In fact, he comes previous to that. He comes as the seed in Mary's womb that has to be, you know, carried to full term and then birth in the normal way. Like, he's not afraid to take a little time to develop his plan. We've got to work on our patience and our ability to just stay the course and to stay focused on him in the middle of things that just simply don't make sense. They don't add up sometimes. And yet he's at work. It's a high level of faith to really believe that all things are working together for good. I've said before, I don't know that there's a higher one, because some stuff's going to smack you right between the eyes, and you're going to say, this cannot possibly work out for good. And yet, in his infinite wisdom, there's not one thing in my life that I can't look back at now, at 50 years old, and say, man, I couldn't see it then, but I see it now. Some of the stuff the Lord is developing in our lives is not stuff that the world's going to say, oh, good for them. They have more patience. They have more kindness. They have more virtue. They have more godliness. They're not going to recognize that as valuable. And yet God, who we're going to spend eternity with, 
in heaven, in the place he's prepared, those are the things that he values, that he prizes, that he says are the fruit of what he produces in our life. And so some of it's just adapting our you know, priority schedule to meet his and realize when he's building those things in our life, common thread usually is it's not comfortable. It's usually discomfort that's, that's at play, but it's working in us. It's building something in us. And so maybe you're in that. Maybe, you know, not everyone's life is going through a, 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 a challenge or a struggle or a strengthening of your faith, but for those who it is, stay the course. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and he's the perfecter or finisher of everything that he starts, including our faith. And so I'm going to try and share uh, a bit of a message this morning that kind of hopefully finishes a bit of this idea I had as I just began to consider my life. And, you know, when you have a 50th birthday, mine was just about a month ago. And, um, you know, you just, you, you rethink some things. You realize, okay, if I could double my life, I've always gone through life and I think, okay, when my birthday doubles, I'll be X number of years old. Well, now I'll be 100. If I live twice as long as I've lived, I'll be 100. So I think it's safe to say I'm getting up there. All right? I, I mean, when you, you know, when you're like a seesaw, like once you're past the middle, like it kind of does that, right? So I'll be happy with 100. My grandma's going to be 100 in, in January. And uh, she's, she still lives with, with my family. And, and uh, I love grandma. She's, she's just an, she's an, amazing, an amazing individual. But we've been talking about how we have... You know, the seasons of life, you start out a certain way where there's a certain reality we live under, and kids, it's kind of a comparative of what can you do, all right? That was the first season of life. When you're young, it's just based on, well, I can ride a bike, well, I can do it without training wheels, or I can kick a soccer ball, or I can kick it this far. It's all about measuring yourself and what abilities you have and what can you do. And so then you come into the middle of your life, the part where I'm, I'm hoping I'm kind of in the middle of the middle. That'd be much better than if I was at the backside of the middle. Um, the reality of the middle part is you have a lot, of, a lot of abilities. You went to school, you learned things, you read books, you watched videos, and you've practiced, you've lived life to, to, to a decent degree, and so all of a sudden you have a lot of ability, but it's more about when can you do. It's not so much what can you do, it's when can you do, because there's only a certain number of hours in the day, schedules pack up, and you just have no more time left, and you hear about a possibility of going and doing something, and you're like, oh, let me check the calendar. Sorry, I can't. I'm already booked to do this. I'm already busy doing something else, and we have our lives all kind of like, we have to have calendars just to keep track of all the stuff we have to do, and so the question in the middle, this is very vague, this isn't, you probably can't teach this in university, it's not nearly detailed enough, but this is a three season, so in the middle, it's really about when can you do? You got a lot of ability to do different things, maybe you've even got some resources, maybe you have the assets to be able to do stuff, but just not enough hours in the day, there's not enough time to do it, right? Does anybody, can anybody relate to that part of life? Um, and so it's important, and we looked at some scriptures that can guide us and help us in the middle part of life where we don't, you know, dig ourselves into a hole of debt trying to look a certain way or have the appearance of certain things because that ability that we had in, as, in early years of just trying to be able to have more ability, sometimes we can, you know, we can get ourselves in trouble just trying to do too much and get ourselves working backwards. And, and so we looked at scriptures for that, but we've been focusing on Peter, and we're into, we're into 1 Peter chapter 2. And we had read through, starting in verse 4, we read through, I think, verse 7 or 8. I think verse 8. And um, that's how we finished the last Sunday that I spoke. And then we had um, Jared and Charlene. And by the way, just to go back to them, they were so blessed. So many folks said that they felt 
a nudge from the Holy Spirit. They felt a leading something about going to Poland on the missions trip that is still to be, the dates and the details will still be announced, but it'll be sometime late winter, maybe early spring, um, to just work on a physical structure that uh, there's a church there that Jared and Charlene have worked with, the pastor, they know them, there's a relationship, there's a building that they've secured, and the goal is to build it into apartments for refugees that are fleeing from Ukraine, from the war. And um, so it'd be like permanent solutions for people who just are transient or don't have a place uh, just to stay out of the cold. And it's going to be winter, it's going to be cold, um, but just the, the response and the heart of people within this fellowship to say, yeah, you know what, I'm not sure what my part will be. But if you can find a use for me, I mean, we're talking like over a dozen people just said, and serious, like, yep, we're, re- we're ready to do this. And then folks that said, I think so-and-so, and, and phone calls were coming in throughout last Sunday as I sat with Jared on the couch. And I just, he was so encouraged, and I was so encouraged as a pastor to realize that if we hear of a legitimate need, something that can really help someone who needs help, that that spirit of Christ within us isn't just like, oh, that's tragic or that's sad, but it rolls up our sleeves and we say, yeah, let's do something about it. And if it means going and spending money and time and going for a week or two to help paint or build or spackle or whatever it's going to end up being, then yeah, sign me up. I'm going to do that. And so I just wanted to say, you know, it's still preliminary, but just to follow that up, what a powerful message about walking by faith and living by faith, but just to hear um, and to see that God hasn't, it's not just obvious to everybody, but there is a core army that is ready to go ahead and do what the Lord shows us to do um, when, it, when it comes time to put you know, feet into action. And so blessed, thankful, um, just wanted to encourage you and share that with you. Maybe for those who won't be able to go, you can consider supporting some of the folks that will be going uh, and some of the work that needs to be done um, over on that side. And so in thinking about where we're at now in terms of this idea of early, middle, and later in life, uh, I'm going to just touch on... A little bit further in the message, we'll talk about what the, you know, I don't want to start in the beginning with the last phases of, of, of life, although it can be glorious, and it needs to be glorious if we're following the Lord. Um, but again, just to give you a little heads up, it's back to what can you do. Think about it. What can you do is the ability basis of early life, then in the middle, when can you do, and then as you get older, you've got time again, but what can you do? discussion a lot of times if you sit with grandparents or uh, folks that are, you know, older, um, you know, they, they, oh, I can still swing a golf club, right? That'll be big for Ernie. Ernie you're going to know how Ernie's doing based on whether he can still swing a golf club or not. Um, for many of us, it's going to be like that. There's like that thing that we can still do, and we're like, yeah, we're still good. We can still do this. So it's back to ability-based, and we kind of will conversate and measure ourselves about what can we still do, and we'll just leave it shallow like that. We won't dig too deeply into that because we could get into trouble easily, couldn't we, with some of the abilities and things we can do when we're older. Okay. <clears throat> just watch a sporting event and watch the advertisements this afternoon and pay attention to some of the things that they're going to offer you uh, to help you. Um, where was I? Almost got off the rails. Whew, that's close. Yeah, that's stop. Trying to tempt me, Ashmael. And so we're going to look at, uh, I would mention my grandma, just one of the funny, one of the funny things, she's, uh, she's in that category, she's 99, and so, you know, she can still walk without a walker, she can still kind of maneuver on the furniture and get from the table to the bedroom and stuff, and she's, that's like her, she fights for that, she has to push for that, she has folks around her to encourage her to keep that mobility, right? But it was funny, I was sitting with her just a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if you're watching, grandma, but if you are, uh, try not to blush, 
Uh, so she, she's like, I, when she was, when we'd go as kids down to her place in Jersey, she had this morning exercise thing that she would do. You know, she would do like arm, we'd try to keep up with her. We really couldn't because she would do like arm circles until our arms were about to fall off. You know, but she did all those and then she did like these, like she'd like point her fingers at the ceiling and she'd do it. So I was sitting with her and I was like, Graham, you know, you're in such good shape. Do you still do your, your morning you know, exercises and stuff, because she'd be, you know, while waiting for the kettle to boil, you know, she'd sit in front of the tea kettle, and she'd go through this little thing, and we always start, like, like, peek around the corner and watch her, because it looked funny to us as kids, but, and so she's like, she's like, well, yeah, I was like, can you still do the, you know, the thing over your head, and she's like, well, yeah, I, I can, I can do it with this one, and then I have to use, I think it was her left arm, to, to pull this one up, and once I get it up, then I can, then I can do them both, like, she's got, she can do it, but she's got to use one arm to help the other one, and then she can still raise her arms and, and do her, and I thought, it's just, it's just an incredible thing that in the middle of our life someplace that we don't lose sight of the temporary nature of this. And at some point, we're going to look back at what we could do and think, man, I wish I did more of that. Or I wish I didn't do so much of something. But you know what I mean? Like, to consider our ways as we looked at the scripture in Haggai last Sunday that I spoke, that we would consider our ways and recognize the days we're given and to use them to the, to the highest level that we can to glorify the Lord and to... And to prepare ourselves for the days when we may just be proud to still be able to, you know, put an arm over our, over our head. Um, I, I just think it's an incredible life that we've been given. And I hope that when we consider the reality of this life, that we're able to just find ways to be wiser about where we find ourselves in the moment. And so we read 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 8. And I just want to go back because it was something I skimmed over. And before we move forward in Peter, I want to just... As I was reviewing, this jumped out at me, and I realized we really didn't open this up much. We spoke about how our purpose in life is to be built into something bigger than any single one of ourselves. When we watched the call of the disciples, we realized he was trying to build a team, and he ended up with 12, and he was able to change the world with what he placed in those 12 vessels as they began to disciple others. But he's always wanted to build together something, and we're all, the Bible calls us very clearly, Peter reveals it, this he says in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Not a building, but very much the best way to describe it is as a building. That when you put rocks together, they become something that one rock by itself is not. He says, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, in order that we would offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices, and as I thought about that, I thought it's, it's interesting because it, it feels like Peter just kind of goes on with whatever else he's saying, but the point that God has for our lives, and this is where if you're younger, you know, your life's not going to make sense until you realize you weren't meant to do it on your own, and yet the message that most guidance counselors preach to our younger children is go and make a life for yourself. Carve out your piece, put a white picket fence around it, and call it yours, and stake your claim, and that's, it's actually the American dream. It's called the American dream. And uh, we wonder why we're so dysfunctional, why we're coming apart at the seams. Is it possible that individuality and boundaries and borders and, and everything that we compartmentalize our little realities into, that it doesn't re leave room at the table for what households used to be like on a Thanksgiving day where half the neighborhood could easily be found at a couple tables in, a, in an average neighborhood where families would come together. There was this, there was understanding that we're stronger together than we are individually. And now, that's why you look at community groups and people call them cults and stuff sometimes, and some are, but you look at certain community groups and you realize the wealth of relationship and the, the benefit that they can achieve in a community 
is just unbelievable because they're pooling resources. They're coming together. They're, they're taking things down so there can be more room at the table rather than trying to carve out. It's very expensive for every single person to reproduce things. Ask anyone that's designing a company. And you very quickly understand you have to pool resources. You have to streamline connectivity and make larger groups of people all relate together. And I just want to encourage us in the body of Christ that we've got to realize there's going to always be factions and fragments and people that have preferences that kind of cause them to be unable to be fully knit in. It's okay. It's just always the way it's going to be. It's not going to change um, unless, you know, the move of the Spirit is so strong that it overrides those things, which historically we can see times of revival where that does happen. But, but this, this idea that we're built, we're to be built together, first of all, a spiritual house. But then the point, he, he, he goes right on and he says, it's not just to look pretty and to just be, hey, look at us. We're bigger than someone else's spiritual house that's being built across town or in a different state or in a different country. But the point of being built together is for this purpose. And it says that we would be uh, built together so that we would offer up spiritual sacrifices. What is a spiritual sacrifice? I'm glad you asked. We're going to look in Hebrews chapter 13, because that's the question that jumped out at, at me when I read this. I thought, that's interesting. You know, we can make assumptions. I mean, does anybody want to volunteer? What, what, do, you, what do you think a spiritual sacrifice is? Or one of them? It doesn't have to be just one. I'm just saying, what's an example of a spiritual sacrifice? Who? Praise? Prayer? We're ourselves living sacrifices. Living stones? we're alive. Sacrifice isn't something that's an easy sell. If you're going to get someone to sacrifice and buy your product, especially if it's something to do with getting in shape or whatever, you've got to make it look as fun as possible. You've got to make it look as easy as possible. You've got to make it look like if you use this product, it's going to happen as fast as possible compared to the other ones. Why? Because if you can minimize sacrifice, you get people's attention. If they can get the result, they want the result with the least amount of discomfort and sacrifice possible. That's called human nature, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just not the nature of Christ, who came to give himself as a sacrifice for many, as an offering for many. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of sacrifice. That's why it's easy to kind of dodge some of the scriptures that talk about it. But I thought, let's, before moving on in Peter, why don't we just consider what are some of the spiritual sacrifices? Hebrews 13, verse 15, gives us a little insight. It says, therefore, by him, capital H, Christ, by him, by his spirit, let us continually, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Do you know, that, and there's other scriptures, Thessalonians, there's other scriptures that, that tell us that there is a continue, pray without ceasing, rejoice always, that there is a permanent reality that is available. It's not, it's not out of reach or he wouldn't say that we should, that we should do it. It wouldn't be a command. He says, let us continually offer this sacrifice of praise to God. Do you know, I think I made a funny statement about just going in front of the mirror and just forcing yourself to smile, especially when you don't feel like it. Or pull your phone out, you know, look into the camera, like, you, you know, spin it backwards so you're looking at the selfie side of it for those that are into that. And just make yourself smile, especially, especially, it all works so much better if you don't really feel it. Maybe the Lord will just remind you the next time you're really just fuming, you know, you just blood's boiling, something's got you. Just open your phone and see if you can make yourself do it. That's a challenge. That's a pastoral challenge. See if you can look into that screen and make yourself, I don't care, it'll be cheesy. You might be like half, you might look crazy because you'd be really mad, but you're trying to smile. You look like some kind of clown or something. 
something out of a horror movie, right? But it's amazing how when an act of your will, because happiness and the smile generally comes from you're thankful about something, you're rejoicing about something, you're laughing at something funny. But just force the expression sometimes and realize that you have control over how you feel. I don't know if your parents told you or whoever told you, you know, it takes more muscles to frown than to smile. I don't know how that's true because of gravity. So maybe if you're standing on your head, I mean, just laws of physics kind of tell me like, you know, gravity's pulling down, so to go against that, it's got to take more than just letting it sag. Anyway, moving on. Stand on your head, whatever. But, but you feel so much better. For the little bit of energy it takes to put a smile on your face, you will feel so much better. Don't let anybody get a picture of you doing it, because then they're probably going to report you, and you're gonna, then you're going to be um, considered truly crazy. But the point is this. You, can, you have authority... That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. You have the ability, but it's going to hurt. Sacrifices were about taking the best of what they had and bringing them before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is yours now. We'd love to go home and have a barbecue, but this lamb belongs to you. And they had to choose the best one, the one that they knew was going to be the, the best. Whether it was produce or livestock, whatever it was, there was something about God requiring them to violate what they wanted to do in the natural so that they could have a spiritual moment with him, a spiritual sacrifice. We're built together so that we can have events called spiritual sacrifice. I'm glad, when you consider it that way, I'm glad that one of the things in the new covenant he's asking for is just a sacrifice of praise. Just a sacrifice of begin to say thank you, begin to say, Lord, you're great. My life, I'm not sure about it, but you Know what you're doing, and you are amazing. You've never let me down. You've never turned your back on me. When I was, and you just begin to state certain things that you don't, doesn't mean your life's perfect and everything's rosy. It just means you can find thankfulness, but it might be a sacrifice, but we do not like sacrifice. Sacrifice is not something that sells easily. I mean, just ask any child, any child to sacrifice the toy they're playing with. Let's keep, let's keep reading on for a minute, because it, it gets a little bit more specific. In, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 15, now 16, says, or still 15, offer the sacrifice of praise to God, and then he's clear, he, 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 he clarifies what exactly he's talking about, because we could even say, well, what is that, just living a life that glorifies him or whatever? No, he says, he says that is the fruit of your lips. In other words, what you're, the words and the phrases and sounds that your lips can make, use those and present that to the Lord, giving thanks to his name. Sometimes to be thankful requires sacrifice. Why? Because you just don't feel thankful. When you've been wronged, if you've been offended, if you've been falsely accused, if you've been victimized by something, the last re heart response and emotion you're going to be feeling in that moment is, thank you, Jesus, you're amazing. And yet it's the way to be free from what you're experiencing, because once you realize how good he is, what you're experiencing pales in comparison to that. These are keys. These are mature discipleship keys that can allow us to live a life that in the midst of whatever's going, going wrong or going what we think is wrong, it lifts our heart in the midst of it, giving thanks to his name. And then he goes on, and I believe this is included in this idea of what is a spiritual sacrifice. He says, and don't forget. It's amazing how much we forget. Of the good stuff, but we don't forget the bad stuff. The stuff that hurts us, we remember that. But the stuff that is a benefit to us, it's easy to just forget it and just move on to the next thing. But he says, don't forget to do good and to share. 
This, is almost, this almost sounds like, you know, a third grade, you know, be nice to your, your, your classmates Sunday school lesson. It's just so, praise God, you know, clap a hand, praise the Lord, and don't forget, be good and share your, you know, and share your toys. Like, it just sounds so simple and basic. It's very childish. And yet, it's the very thing that he says our lives are to be built together for is the purpose that we could then offer a corporate together sacrifice, spiritual sacrifice that this world would take note of. He says, don't forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He recognizes that to do, just, just to do good and to share is going to be a sacrifice. Your, your flesh and the part of you that's selfish is going to experience that act as a sacrifice, a violation of your will, just like smiling when you're really mad. He says it's a sacrifice. God sees that as a sacrifice. You think it's instinctive to share? Visit a daycare. <laughs> I have to, sometimes feel like I have the beginnings of one in my living room. I have a five-year-old of just turned five of my own. And then there's some other little youngsters that and I have a grandson who's in that mix too. And then there's a couple kids that are babysat at my home. And when you put the few of those guys together in the middle of the living room and there's a you know, there's plenty of toys to go around, but it's not, it's not important how many toys there are. It's whichever one a person has is the one that has to be had by someone else until they have it and then they want it the, right. And you try to explain because, you know, my son Carson, he's generally the oldest of the daddy daycare that's happening in my living room. And, um, <laughs> and so it's kind of a teaching moment for him. To say, hey, you're, you're, you're five years old now. This little piece of plastic isn't all that. You've got a basket full of them. Go find another one. And then the three-year-old and the two-year-old are going to see what you have, and they're going to put theirs down. Then you can go back and get the one that you want for, for a few seconds, you know, for 10 seconds until they grab it again. And, you know, and their whole thing is stop, don't snatch. You know, you have to ask. So then they ask, you know, say please. No, you still can't have it. Like, you know, it, there's no sharing. Sharing is not instinctive. It's not an instinctive characteristic of humanity. We're born wanting the toy that we want, not just that we want it, but we want it when we want it, especially if someone else has it. It's just, if you think sharing is instinctive, I know there's the exceptions and there's the, you know, the little, the young Mother Teresa's in training and people that just seem to be amazing and right out of the gate. But the average person struggles with being a sharing person. Why? Because it's mine. I worked for this. I worked hard for this. This wasn't given to me. How many times we, we rationalize why it's so hard to share because we feel like we're, we're owed it. And, and, and if you want this from me, you need to ask me and not just ask me, but say please. Right? We have to set all these parameters. If we're, even as adults, if we're going to share what we have, we require certain things. Why? Because possession is a very important thing to the human. And yet the Bible says freely you've received this gift called salvation, therefore freely give it away. It didn't originate in you, so don't get all connected and, and guarded about being freely giving what you freely received. That includes the stuff of our life, not just the spiritual things. It's a huge challenge. It's why the Bible calls it a sacrifice. But it's a spiritual sacrifice, and it's pleasing to the Lord. It says that with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. There's nothing I like more than when I see my son Carson being the, being the older one. I'm like, Carson, come on, but it's just not worth it. Just, there's two of them grabbing it. Just, but it's mine, but I had it first. And I'm like, bud, 
He does it begrudgingly usually. If he's in a great mood, sometimes he gets it and he just passes it. It's no problem. But for the most part, it's a violation of his instinct to cling. And the Lord is telling us in our, in, 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 as grown-ups, as those who are growing in faith, being built together as a spiritual house so that we can offer spiritual sacrifices, that one of the ways we set ourselves apart is that we freely share what we've been given. Don't worry, it's not going to be instinctive. You're not going to clap when I say that. You're going to think, really? Does it really mean that? That's fine. It's supposed to. It, it challenges who we're born as. But if we're walking in the Spirit, all of a sudden it becomes very easy. Because it's the Spirit of Christ within us. And when we do it, we feel like, yeah, that's what Jesus would do. He, he said, if they ask you for your shirt, give them your coat too. Like there's just a freedom. Why? Because you know he's going to give you more back. He's watching over. I know when Carson listens to me and he's like giving his toys away and he's not clinging and fighting and entering into their level, that there's going to be some reward. I'm like, hey, bud, come on, let's go. Let's go get a, let's, you know, you did really good there. Let's go have a, let's go, you know, grab a hot dog at Dallas Hot Wieners or something. You know, there's like, I spend time and I say, that was really good. That wasn't easy to do, but you did it. And the Lord wants to encourage us. Sometimes you got to start small. Some people, it's very, you just got to be, you know, forgive somebody that doesn't deserve it. They don't deserve it. So when you forgive them, you're sharing something that the Lord forgave you. Freely you received his forgiveness, and so freely you can forgive somebody. You're like, they just don't see it yet. It's all right. I'm not holding it against them. And when they see me, they'll get a smile. Maybe you got to paint it on your face. I don't know. What, you know. But that's what they're going to get from you because that's what the Lord would have you to do. It's called a sacrifice of smile. Mm, amen. It often comes down to that. But if we're going to be spiritual followers of a spiritual kingdom, then it takes spiritual sacrifice. I mean, praise, that's sometimes a sacrifice, sometimes it flows but sharing, and also it says to do good. Sometimes doing good takes intentionality. It's easy to just kind of go along and be haphazard about things, but when you're going to make a plan to do good for somebody, it takes a little work. It costs. God is well pleased. And so I just leave you with that. I'm not going to finish. That was just in the middle of the text that we had read, and we didn't really get to unpack that, and so I wanted to go ahead and do that. But I want to, as we just move towards the end here, I want to read a scripture in Proverbs. Because it's part of what, as I consider the, the part of life where we're, you know, maybe we're past what we would say is the, the prime or the middle part where we have the most physical ability and we carve out the time to do what we need to do. And we kind of, we're very productive. The average person is most productive in the middle piece of their life, but there's something they possess in the later years of their life that unfortunately has been discarded much to our pain and suffering by the current, well, it's not just current, it's generations throughout history, that as soon as they lost the wisdom of the generation that encountered the Lord or saw God do amazing things, as soon as that generation was kind of put on the back burner, they got off track. And it's an amazing thing that if you read the book of Proverbs, it's, one of the mo it's, it's a book that you really should just read through it. And you should do it regularly because it's just, you know, at least one a day, something that's hard to just, you know, there's so much wisdom. There's so many little sayings and adages that allow you to see godly wisdom and then to see how it can benefit your life. But the point is this, if, you're, if you have access to someone 
who maybe they don't have all the knowledge that you have, but they have something called wisdom because they've experienced life. They have things that maybe they don't, maybe they don't know. And this is, the, this is the one thing I want to say about what disturbs me the most as I just nutshell this. What disturbs me the most is that as I ponder this, as I considered this, I realized that it's become common for people to disregard or to dis, yeah, disregard. They don't give proper weight to something that someone tells them if they know more than the person that's telling them. Does that make sense? In other words, I might not know as much as someone else knows. It's pretty easy. Uh, things have advanced so quickly. There's, there's apps and things on people's devices and access to things that I wouldn't know. I don't even know how to. Okay, I could probably download the app because there's, you know, you just push a button and it kind of comes to your phone. But how to use it, how to edit video and just the way, the way that this, the amount of knowledge and ability that the current generation has, it's far superior to the knowledge that I have as a 50-year-old American person. I, I can't compete with so much of, and they, and they, they just have this ability because it's just, they have tons and tons of, they have Google. They have Google. We all have Google, but I'm saying it, it kind of was the, you know, the 20s and 30-year-olds that discovered like, well, we can access all this knowledge and have access to all this knowledge. Grandma and grandpa, they don't, well, my dad doesn't have a cell phone yet. There you go, dad. should probably get one so we can find you and keep track of you. That's probably why he doesn't have it. He's smart. He's smart. So there's the wisdom. That's what I'm talking about. Wisdom transcends knowledge. The proverb we're going to read says that wisdom is the principal thing, not knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world and have the know-how to do incredible things, but lack wisdom and spend all that life that you've been given in the gaining of more knowledge only to come to an end, a depressed old person with no hope of eternity, no understanding of anything beyond this life, just, you know, eternal sleep or whatever it's going to be. I think what, a, what an amazing reality. And so here's the challenge. I do it myself. I'm like, yeah, I'm not listening. They, what are they, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't, I, I know more about this than they do. Yeah, but if they're older especially, I'm going to listen to it a couple of times because I want to hear if what they're saying in there somewhere is something that I'm missing. They don't have to know more, to me, more than me to be wiser than me. But this world recognizes knowledge. You go to school and college to gain knowledge, not wisdom. Back in the day, you could go to university and gain, gain wisdom from some of those gray-haired professors because they were wise people. Read some of what they wrote, the C.S. Lewis's and the, some of these people that, you know, they were high-level educators. And they had deep wisdom because they devoted their life to the accumulation of wisdom, to the accumulation of not just what do I know, but why do I know it and what benefit is it? How do I apply what I know to the benefit of humanity? There's so much wisdom that's available to our lives in Scripture and in people who have lived before us in the generation that's already put in a lifetime. But if you think you know more than them and therefore you don't listen to them, I see it all the time. I see young people tune out old people just because, well, what do they possibly know? And they're so enamored with all their knowledge that they have and the abilities that they have that they miss the fact you're about to squander your life. You're about to waste the best part of your life pursuing something that's going to just go up and smoke. 
in light of eternity. And yet, so I want to read this proverb. We'll close with this proverb. It's Proverbs chapter 4. I just wanted to find this scripture where it says, wisdom is the principal thing. In all you're getting, get wisdom. And then I looked before it and I looked after it and I realized that this is meant to be read together. And as I begin to look here, when you think of Proverbs, who do you think of as the author of Proverbs? Solomon. Who do you think of the author of Psalms? Primarily, I know there's David. David, Psalms, and everyone knows that Solomon was David's son. So you've got Proverbs, Psalms, you know, Psalms fittingly precedes Proverbs. You got David, you got what, his, what he wrote in terms of poetry and song and, and uh, statements of faith. And then you have, and even prophecy, David had so much prophecy in what he wrote. And then you have his son writing. And I began to, as I was looking through Proverbs chapter 4, we'll begin reading this and I'll try to figure out where to say what. But we attribute Proverbs to Solomon, but this one's very, very interesting. And so let me just start in verse, verse 1, Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Solomon is writing to his son, clearly, right? To his children. Hear the instruction of a father. But look at what happens next. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, Solomon is about to quote his father David. So this next bit of Proverbs is actually not written by Solomon. It's recorded by him, but it's a quote of what his father taught him. Right? So listen, listen to what he... Tender, I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother. Pause for a second. Does anybody know who his mother was? <laughs> Isn't that something? Does everybody know the story of Bathsheba? You know how she came on the scene? It wasn't because David <laughs> did anything right. It's because he made the mistake of his lifetime, and he ended up having her husband killed so he could be with her. He had already been with her, and then to clean up the mess had, like, this was a twisted plot. This was not something godly or good. It was a stain where if he didn't repent when Nathan the prophet confronted David, he probably would have been struck down by the Lord because he, had, he would have had an opportunity to repent for the error of what he had done. He, complete, he, he acted out in a way that was so against the heart of the worshiper that he was as he climbed his way to the throne. Or as the Lord placed him into the throne, to then behave in such a way was such a black eye to the whole nation that it was, it was, you know, massive, massive PR disaster. I'm trying to think of the current word, what we would call it, but whatever. It just would have been, huh? Yeah, snafu, I don't know, something, just whatever the word. This was a stigma that Solomon was born under. He's now born to David the adulterer and his mistress, Bathsheba. Here's Solomon the son. And yet when his dad is talking to him, as a young boy, he says, when I was tender and young in the sight of my mom and dad. So he's remembering this from when he was little. 
His, what platform could David possibly have had if it's, the new, if it's the platform we all have, where if I know more than you or my life's cleaner than yours or whatever, then I don't have to listen to you. We have this sort of way of filtering what and who we listen to based on what we've measured them to be. Here is Solomon, the little boy, listening to his father, and these words changed him forever because we know him to be the wisest person. The Bible reveals him as the wisest person that ever lived. The richest Israel ever was, was under his reign. He knew how to gather the wealth of the nations, and they would all bring them voluntarily to Israel. He was anointed of God, but he gained something from his father, and he could have easily just tuned it out and said, yeah, Dad, sure, I'm going to listen to you. Hypocrite, you know, you think you know everything, but there's something about honoring father and mother. We're not going to have time to get into that part of it, but that's the other reason why this generation is really in trouble, is because that's the commandment with a promise. What's the promise if you honor mom and dad? That it'll go well with you. And that you'll live long on the earth. What's happening to this generation? They're living shorter and shorter and shorter on the earth. They have no purpose and reason for living. They're knocking themselves off. And it's not going well with them. Why? They're not tuned into the wisdom that could save them. They're not honoring mom and dad just because they're mom and dad. They don't have to live a perfect life. They don't have to have all the answers. They don't have to be, you know, this glowing aura of what a perfect parents are supposed to be. There's something in God's heart that knows if we don't honor mom and dad who have wisdom, we will easily be sold a bill of goods and we'll just walk down into our own destruction because it'll sound good to us and to our nature that was never countered with the true nature of Christ. This is, it's deep, there's a whole teaching involved in there, I'm sure. But here he's going on. So this is what he's saying. He remembers, maybe he jotted it down, maybe he had someone recording the conversations and had, 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 was recorded because it happened in the king's house. I don't know. But he said... His father also taught him, he says, he also taught me and said to me, and now it's quotation marks, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live, get wisdom and get understanding, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her, talking about wisdom, and she will preserve you, love her. And she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. I love how he just hangs out around this. He makes, he makes, he's talking to his son. And he's painting this picture of wisdom as this woman that you just have to have. And she, talks, she, it's, she puts her in the feminine, wisdom in the feminine sense. Personifies her. She's the principal thing. Get her. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. Connected to the commandment, honor your father and mother, the first for the promise gets better. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction and do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. And it's an amazing reality the day that we live in where people will look to anyone who is a known name and as soon as they have an interview, they want to know, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of your life? And how did you get there? They want, they're trying to draw all this wisdom from these people. 
that became a great musician or became a great actor or whatever they became. They became, you know, billionaire CEO of some famous companies. And all of a sudden, we look to them. Why? Because they know so much. We want knowledge from them. We want to know how they did it. But they don't have wisdom to offer us if we're spiritual people. With a few exceptions. And those are quickly tuned out by the mainstream so that they don't get interviewed on any kind of a platform where, where we can all be encouraged and the world can gain true wisdom from them because that's dangerous. We worship knowledge, not wisdom. And we're paying a dreadful price. A dreadful price. Because wisdom is what we need. We need to not just know things, but we need to know how to then bring that knowledge. Knowledge can be amazing. Knowledge is, is just, it's phenomenal what's happening in the realms of knowledge, what technology is allowing for implants to begin to be alone in people's brains so that paralyzed people can begin to have motor skills again in parts of their body that never had it. I mean, I love some of what knowledge is bringing to the planet. It's incredible. But you can already see how in the wrong hands it's going to be used in a way that's such a detriment or the potential is there for it to be such a detriment to humanity. We need wisdom we need folks who see what's available and then have the wisdom to know when and how to apply it and not to just squander it or worse, use it to allow for more control over humanity. And so, I don't know, it's, that was a bit of a, of, a, of a scatter shot. But hopefully there was nuggets in there that, yeah, one of the great neglects of our advanced society, this is what I wrote, is that the wisdom of the preceding generation is lost on the present one because knowledge has become more valuable than wisdom. Be careful that you don't just listen to people that know more than you. There's people that know a whole lot, but they might not have an ounce of wisdom. They might not have anything that can actually enrich your life and allow you a foundation Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that's one of the big markers of the day that we live in, why it is towards the end. That there would be generations that just don't see the value in the elderly. Find, find someone that's, that's lived before you. It doesn't matter what they know or don't know. Maybe they don't even know how to use a smartphone. That's okay. Have them tell you some stories. My children used to love, I used to love sitting with my grandparents, my grandfathers especially, and you know, my grandpa Ortman, you know, he starts telling you stories of the, of the war. I think it was Normandy, the beach where he got hit, just getting off, just barely getting off, you know, in World War II. And, you know, you got to kind of keep an eye on him sometimes because if he was talking, he didn't know age, age appropriate. <laughs> he didn't have that filter so good when it came to talking to, you know, everybody was a grown-up when it was time for a war, talk about some of the war. But, you know, there's, there's folks that have, lived life and they've learned, they've gleaned things from life where what they thought was important suddenly isn't anymore. And that's one of the things that I found most often speaking with, whether it was in a nursing home or with my own aging mentors in my life, was that there was often things that they would go back and change if they could. There was things that they would have done more of. There was things that they would have done less of. And they're happy to explain them to you and talk to you about them. You know, maybe it's hard within your own, maybe you got to go outside of that. We used to go to nursing homes regularly and, and just sit and just ask people to tell stories. Just, it just doesn't take much creativity to get someone who's advanced in years to talk. They usually don't have people that want to listen to them. You can glean so much. This generation could glean so much because so much of what's important today will already be 
the world will leave it behind even. There's it's such turnover. What you think is great now will just be discarded. And people are laying their lives down and living lives for things that are just too temporary. Why don't we stand together this morning and just have a word of prayer together. I don't know about you, but I want the Lord to lead us in, in true wisdom. Father, whatever we're learning in this life, we want to always set our sights on the highest marker. And you said that that was wisdom. That whatever else we obtain and whatever else we gain, that wisdom is the principal thing. And the understanding of how to apply that wisdom. Lord, if there are parts of our life where we need to make adjustment, where maybe we've not honored those who are in authority in our life. Maybe we've not honored mom or a dad or we, we thought their performance disqualified them from honor and respect. Lord, I pray that you would just allow us to reconsider, that there would be an ability to see that the value of what we can gain from listening and learning and hearing wisdom could stay with us for a lifetime, Lord, that there could be a difference in our lives because we've listened to the wisdom that those who've already lived this life beyond us, things that they've discovered and learned, Lord. I just pray that you'd give us. Your, your word says very clearly that if we ask for wisdom, spiritual wisdom, that you're going to give it to us, an abundance of it, and that there's no reproach attached to it, that there's no sort of condescending way that you give it. You desire us to be wise, Lord. You desire us to see through the smoke and the mirrors and all the false claims that this world just promises us, and then they, we find out they're just lying through their teeth, Lord. We thank you that you offer us a wisdom that transcends this wicked, perverse generation that we live in. Lord, that we would value that that as children, as disciples of yours, that we would value what you would have to say to us. Lord, there's no greater wisdom than we can find that, than what's written in your word. Timelessly preserved, Lord. Father, may we all be increasing in our hunger and our desire to be in your word, to learn what it is that you truly have written for us, that in all of our gaining and all of our getting, we would gain wisdom, Father, and that she would be our life, part of what marks us apart, Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I know that there's a season in front of us that's exciting and we celebrate, and Lord, and yet there's loneliness and pain for so many. And so, Father, we pray for your comfort and we also pray for that spirit of celebration that we would, we would be marked as those who in, the, in a dark time are full of joy and full of light, full of comfort because you are near to those who are brokenhearted and you are the one who heals us, Lord, beyond what people can do. You are our healer, our deliverer, our soon coming King. We thank you, Jesus. You're here with us now and you go with us as we leave. We bless you for it in your mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.